Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello, this is 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network, the only podcast that thinks every Mavericks game should start at 6.30 or earlier. Mm. I'm fine with earlier. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. Got Kirk Henderson, editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball, longtime person I've worked with, been friends with, talked about the Mavericks with, and today we're going to talk to him a little bit more about the Mavericks, who should always play games early. I, uh, Thank God the, for early tip times. The difference between a seven o'clock start time and a seven thirty start time changes my life so much it's hard to contextualize. I am so scared of these upcoming Pacific time <laughs> games that I am going to LA. That's how scared I am. That's not remotely true. I'm going. I don't know how I did this on the East them, Coast for like eight years. I have no idea how you did that either. So that 6.30 game that happened on Thursday, recording Friday afternoon, it was a pretty lopsided loss to the Boston Celtics. And after that, I wrote that, you know, it it basically was a summation of a tweet that I tweeted when the game was over, that it's not a result that I think needs to be overreacted to. Uh, Luka looked terrible, like he was, you know, injured, sick, you know, just off. He was off. Too Uh, much rest. Two days in a row. Unbelievable. You know, like he's got to play back to backs every night, you know, and, you know, the Mavericks are injured. Uh, This was a game where those injured players, you know, the absence of them really stood out. I think that we've seen Josh Green's absence uh, show up in games prior, but I think the absence of Maxi and and, uh, Dorian Finney Smith was very apparent in a game like this as well. And while I'm not overreacting to that, I also was not overreacting to the seven-game win streak. I listened to the podcast that you and Josh Bowe did last night, and I do think that you guys just so often summarize it so well. You know, you kind of say what I'm thinking. I uh, really recommend uh, all Mass Moneyball podcasts. And I, I think that was kind of your takeaway as well. But just broadly speaking is, you know, what did what did you take from the Boston game, if anything, uh, about this team's, you know, broader hopes and failures and and just expectations for this season i mean the the path forward is always luka Doncic good um if if luka's good they stand a chance if luka's bad they don't stand a chance then the secondary factor which seems to matter the most is tim hardaway shooting and relying on tim hardaway you know four years after he was traded to the mavericks pretty much three years and and um 11 months to the day from when he was traded and it's just wild that Tim's that important and it's they just have a narrow margin uh you know defensive players aside I think the defensive you know Josh Green the fact that Josh Green is this important is is problematic 
Maxi Kleba is kind of the keystone, and I'm wondering just how far they can go without him because they cannot play defense. Um, I will I will say I was at practice today, and Maxi is is moving around. He's he's you know he's not in a cast. He's not you know which limping. is good. He was shooting at at a at a hoop, not not really long distance shots, but he was you know messing around in front of a yeah. hoop. So as much as I have said, and I think with merit that there's a good chance he's not back this season. And I'm not retracting that. I think they're, it's not totally unrealistic that he's back at some point this year, but you know, even, even with that, you know, if he's missing most of the rest of the season, it's really difficult to see them kind of bridge that gap between, uh, you know, best offense in the league, which they have been over, you know, the streak over the past few weeks. Um, but also a defense, a defense and a defensive identity. That's good enough to, you know, make this team, realistically a, a mm-hmm. team that everything can come together for them to win a series or two, which I think is possible. I'm not ruling that out because Luca's that good. And it's, and you know, it's the so team... shooting dependent. Right, right, right. And, and maybe you just get the shooting dependency, the variance to go your way for, you know, it, you just got to get it for eight games out of, uh, you know, 14, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple series in a row. But yeah, it was I, I certainly wasn't bothered by last night's uh, performance. It was just sort of a very harsh reminder on a national stage of sort of consistent criticisms I've had about team building for the better part of Luka Doncic's tenure to where, you know, McKinley Wright and, and Jaden Hardy, Luka Doncic, Dwight Powell, and who else? There, and there's one more person on the floor. And it there was just I think it was bizarre... Tim Hardaway. Yeah, okay. yeah, Tim Hardaway, Dwight Powell. The, it was like a four-guard lineup, like like a Rick Carlisle tanking heyday experiment against Boston on a Thursday night national TV. And it's just, it's so different. And, and you know, I, I host these Spotify Lives, and I what I tell people is like, number one, Boston is a true contender. They're one of the four best teams in the league. So getting beat by them is no, is no, you know, nothing to be too upset by. But in terms of what you hope the Mavericks are building towards, you have to go eight to nine guys deep with reserves who are capable of giving you real things. And the Mavericks, when they're missing three rotation guys, it's not fair to expect that from anybody. But then the players that they do put in the game are not capable of doing very much. I mean, McKinley Wright, who has been good defensively the past several games, he looked at Boston's length and looked like a deer in headlights. And I don't fault him for that. He's a he's a G League player, but it's just it's a different standard of of roster construction and it makes it a little bit difficult to wonder how the rest of the year goes because i i still think they could win a ton of games i also think they could lose a ton of games because the one thing about that win streak that i i didn't talk about and haven't broached yet is the margin of victory was way too narrow in every game they really only blew out one team in the entire seven game you know streak and right. you know margin point differential is a key indicator of actual team quality over 82 games and you know congrats on beating the rockets three times i think it's hard to do in a 10 day span but also you beat the rockets three times in 10 days and yet you, you didn't do it that convincingly all but once and it took a completely improbable victory right in the middle. That was, you know, buckets of fun. It, it, sure. you know, there, it, there's no reason we should take anything away from a 60 point Luka Doncic game because 
you know, I think a little bit later in this podcast, we're going to talk about what are we looking for? What's still exciting about this season? And I think there are things like Luca scoring 60 because he's mm. just going to do that on, on a night. But I do think the win streak feels a little bit different if there's a loss right in the middle that people are really frustrated with. And, uh, you know, and, and that's and that's a big reason why I was just like, let's not overreact yep. too much. Um, speaking of overreacting, uh, what do you make of the Kimball Walker um, being waived with an idea that maybe Jaden Hardy is going to get more minutes. Like you said, you know, he is a rookie second rounder. Uh, the idea that the team, sh- you know, th- that fans should overreact to the idea that he is some savior um, is, is, is obviously ludicrous, but the idea that, you know, he can play a little bit more, maybe, you know, I, I think to me, it's the question of, can he help you here and there? And does it help his development long-term? Because mm-hmm. even if he's not necessarily helping you win on a nightly basis, some nights he will, some nights he won't. If it's helping his development to get him some minutes this season, I think that's a sacrifice you that's probably worth making if you look at the long-term scheme of the Mavericks and what they're building towards. Well, I the, the thing that I keep coming back to is I don't think if Jaden Hardy is losing you games, then the team is in a much worse place than everyone's willing to to admit um, him playing can do in, in sort of where I see is is nothing but long term upside. Um, it might not necessarily be what the team like is super thrilled about, but, you know, Reggie Bullock, I really love Reggie. Going to think of Reggie fondly in the coming years. Reggie Bullock played 37 minutes last night and scored zero points. That took one happen. shot, which is even more concerning. Yeah, well, the volume on Reggie is almost a podcast on its own. Josh pointed that out, and I, yeah, I just can't get it out of my head. But I, I just see no, I see no harm with it. Um, you know, Luca's been even better than I could have hoped, which just gives you a little bit of that that buffer, that cushion. And so I, I sort of exist in this place where I'm I'm happy to see it. But in terms of what the Kemba cut means. Um, what it means is that every single person who scoffed at me and, and anybody that wanted Doron Drogic during the summer was wrong. Um, and I'm going to take that little stupid victory lap because asking for an additional ball handler that can play games is important. Like the greatest of, of ability is availability. And it's, it's very frustrating that the Mavericks really honestly tried to pitch Frank Nilakina as a, as a third string point guard again. Um, And also what it says to me is I don't like cutting players in season. You know, I just don't like Kimball Walker is that player. He's a beloved Beloved. guy. Yeah. And this franchise for all the hopium that fans talk themselves into. If you want to know why guys don't sign with a particular franchise or why a franchise isn't what you would think in your head. Every little thing plays into it. Now, I'm not saying that the Mavericks aren't going to get a free agent in 2027 because they cut Kimball Walker in 2023. I'm not that silly, but it's just it's it's it shows sort of a a lack of of team building awareness. If if this is what you've had to do, where you sign Faku Campazo very late to an unguaranteed contract and you sign Kimball Walker late to an unguaranteed contract. I knew from the moment that I realized it was an unguaranteed one that that he was going to be gone because he just doesn't have. Yeah, it felt inevitable. And that just it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It's not the end of the world. None of this stuff is the end of the world, but all the pieces matter. And I, I don't know what to do with that, you know, moving forward, big picture wise, because 
it's it, it comes back to the my constant complaint of roster building of you know you got the hard part with Luca. Why does everything else feel so dang difficult? Yeah, and look, the Mavericks were right that Goran Dragic is not a world beater. His true shooting this season is like 40, 53%, you know, like mm-hmm. four or five points below league average. Yep. But they were wrong that he wouldn't have a role most nights. Um, and the fact that they've cycled through two players and the fact that, you know, they are looking now to give some minutes to Jaden Hardy, uh, kind of in that third ball handler role. And and the fact that Luka Doncic is probably going to miss, you know, he. I, I would be surprised if he didn't rest against the Thunder on the second night of the back-to-back on on Sunday. Um, you know, like there there is very clearly a role that uh, Dragic would have uh, would have had on this team, and it just it it seems so much too simpler. long. The yeah. season's too long, and that's where I'm a little. That's where I find myself disappointed because yeah. it was it's basketball and team building are at once very straightforward, but also very complex. And what has vexed me for the better part of my time as I've covered this team is that I'm constantly told that the simple thing is actually much harder and I don't understand. And more often than not on some of these little things, I found myself wondering after the fact, I was like, am I, am I stupid or was I right the whole time? And granted, my opinion is just an opinion. No one, like the Mavericks are never going to listen to what I think, but it just has me second guessing like the the process involved of how do we get here between two different front offices where the Mavericks found something truly special following the trade deadline. I, I am so happy that that Spencer Dinwiddie that thing moved out and they had a three-headed snake moving where it was, it, it, I, I keep comparing it to like the triple option in football. Really beautiful, fun to watch. And, you know, Brunson walks and that's, we all know about that. No reason to rehash it. But if you're going to try to to go back to a similar formula, you can't go to a triple option with only two guys. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. And it's just like it seemed like the assessment was that, you know, Goran is is not a Brunson replacement. And thus, well, you he, know, can't, he can't play what's the point. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I right understood. about that, you know, and, and they're right that he's not a world beater. It's just yeah. like, you know, he he signing him would not have had to replace Brunson. But no. anyway, I'm I'm glad I could bring you on, Kirk, because I didn't I didn't realize this was going to be a therapy session for you. It feels like I should ask you how does this me. make you feel? I'm just constant I'm constantly <laughs> whinging. And that's where like I vex um some of our some of our friends like Skin Wade told me the other day. Um he told me the other day that I needed to uh to to not live tweet games that it was bad for my health. And I was like, well, been doing it for uh for for 12 years. I I I I don't know how to quit. Like that's where I need, that's where I need therapy. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So um, we mentioned earlier, you know, the the loss of the Celtics that, you know, Josh Green, the, the injured players, but especially Josh Green was really missed. Um, on Wednesday, I wrote about how teams try to stop Luka Doncic and how they mostly don't. And I don't know. I like coming back to it just just for a few minutes here and, and why was Josh awesome. Green was so. Yeah. So the Celtics actually play Luca really, really well in the first game that these two teams played against each other. They played Luca fantastically. And what Luca did was just hit 11 of 15 for mid range. Like, he, mm. you know, like that, that he has that counter or has the ability to go to that counter um, was was just, uh, you know, just shows how remarkable he is in, in so many ways. Um, he did not have it on on Thursday, very obviously. And, you know, I think I really do think some of it, you know, you and me have watched him for a long time. And it it just, you know, there was something off that, you know, it wasn't it wasn't even a bad game. It was a bad game, but it, it felt like there was something inherent to Luca and how he was performing that was off as much as the the defensive um, coverages that he was seeing. But I, I think Boston does guard Luka about as well as you can. And this was c- kind of something I was talking about in the piece. They have five players who are all, none of them are obvious mismatches for Luka. And they shade help a lot. When they do double, they double from the wings uh-huh. um, so that Luka can't get closer to the basket or he can't pass to someone closer to the basket. Instead, he's making sideways passes to players that are not dynamic, you know, stuff we've talked about and throughout on this podcast that you've talked about on your podcast. And that's why Josh Green is so vital of a missing piece for a game like this, because he's the one player who can receive that sideway pass, drive into the paint and make the next next pass that that creates something in a, in a way that. Um, you know, this team just doesn't have on the roster. And so that's that's why I really singled him out as like, oh boy, you know, they if they're going to be successful against a team like this, either Luca needs to be, you know, next level God mode where he's just hitting, you know, 15 footers every possession because that's the one shot that he's being given or he needs teammates who can do a bit more. Um, otherwise, it's just down to whether they can make a bunch of semi-contested threes. And obviously on Thursday, they did not. Well, you know, your number one, your piece was awesome. We had a great Thank time you. reading that and discussing that at Madden's Moneyball because number one, like getting coaches to go on the record about anything is like really difficult. Our 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 Spurs blogger friend Matt uh, Matt Timon um, uh, noted that he asked Pop similar questions 
the day of and pop basically like cut him off at the knees. So it's like, it's very funny to get really good answers from these people because, you know, I, I sent you a, I sent you a movie clip that's too young for you. Heath Ledger's the Knight's <laughs> tale. There was, um, there's a scene in it where the bad guy says, how would you beat him? And, the, the uh, uh, talking about Heath Ledger's character and the guy responds with a stick while he slept. And that's sort of how I feel about Luca. But I, I there's kind of two ways that I think you can you can really try to guard Luca effectively if you have length and strength. And there was an early play where Luca Doncic got um, uh, Al Hortford isoed on the left side, drove to the basket and then shoves Al Hortford out of the way to shoot a layup. It would like Luca's strength is constantly mind boggling to me. So I don't really think strength bothers him anymore. Lots and lots of length is about the only answer. And the Celtics have that in droves paired with Marcus smart, who, you know, defensive player of the year, frankly, gets away with hysterical amounts of contact just due to reputation and also breaks defensive coverage a lot. There were, there was a sideline trap, third quarter maybe that had Luke yeah, I remember really that one. pissed. He was really frustrated at that one because it just sort of seemed to come out of nowhere. And obviously the over given enough time with Luca, he's going to figure out a defensive coverage, but uh, Josh and I were talking about this last night. One of the things that stood out really was that because Lucas mid range was off. Like you mentioned, his passes to the corner were not there. He threw some great teammates and that was, you know, a little surprising. Um, oh shoot, my microphone switched. Uh, there we go. Um, p- apologies. Um, you're all good. And it, it was just really something shocking to watch because Luca doesn't get shut down very, very often. Um, the closest thing I've seen to that in a in a game has to be, and it's a very different strategy, but like Luca getting frustrated was Kevon Looney bothering him in the finals, where it's just, you know, everything that Luca tried did not work. And that was it was just surprising to see over the course of a game. You know, he might not have been right, whatever reason was wrong with him. I think national announcers aren't used to seeing the fact that he always looks like that. Like he always looks half injured and angry. And then the cupping and he always just he looks wounded, but it's part of the bit. But right. it was it was interesting to watch. Definitely, like the Celtics are are an aspirational. How do we if we can break the Celtics, then we can win a title kind of kind of thing that I'd be looking at. And that's what those games were last season. Remember, mm-hmm. and that's why you know I wrote this after actually after the first loss to the Celtics, mm-hmm. and I looked back at the two games they played against the Celtics last season. Yep. The first one was the Luca uh, game winner. The Celtics hadn't become the Celtics yet, but Luca had been struggling. And that was the moment where it's like, everything's going to be fine. Luca is still Luca. He's going to be good. Uh, you know, he, he still struggled in and around that because it was mid-November and he didn't really get right till January. Obviously, he missed like three weeks in a row. But that was a reminder that, hey, even though Luca's struggling right now, he's still Luca. The second game was when the Mavericks were winning a ton and we still didn't know whether to believe it. And then they went to Boston and beat them. And that was like the moment where I was like, I'm not doubting this team anymore. They're real. I don't know how they're doing the defense stuff. And, you know, as the season went on, uh, we were like, okay, here's here's some ways that they're doing it. But that was the moment that really, you know, that second half turnaround, it really caused me to believe in them. Um, And that was when the Celtics had become the Celtics. And these two games just kind of feel like the opposite of that, where, you know, the first one, Luca was incredible and it wasn't a close game. And the second one, you know, just 
you know, you saw the talent disparity and, and, and the difference between these two teams and, and kind of reminding me that even though this team is going to be good and even though I, I do feel like they have a good chance to finish top four or five in the Western Conference, I do not think that, you know, the, the second half turnaround is coming like it did last season. I just think this is a, is, is a very different team. And that leads me to the last thing I want to talk with you about is the idea that if we feel like we know where the season is headed and we feel like a lot of the focus or at least a lot of the interest doesn't lie in the season, but lies in the future. What is interesting about this season? Because you and I are people who, you know, in some ways and in small ways help lead or steer the direction that is around this team. And I think we have some responsibility to, even if, we believe that the future that, you know, what the Mavs do to build the next version of this roster around Luca is one of the more interesting things about this team. Yep. There's still a half season to play. And I think it's like, I've been thinking about this along. I, I think it's really irresponsible if I just keep saying, well, it doesn't matter because it yeah. does matter. It does matter. 43 mm-hmm. more basketball games matter. What the mm-hmm. Mavericks do in the postseason matters. Luca having nights where he just goes off for 60 absolutely something that you know could happen again this year um matters and so i'm trying to be careful to say yes there is a lot of redundancy in this team and how they play that is very similar and in some ways frustrating to the past few years but at the same time basketball is meant to be fun and fandom is not supposed to be a drag unless that's just the way that you experience fandom and so what I tried to do, you know, even in even in the piece I wrote after the Boston game was, OK, let's not overreact to, to anything. This team is kind of who we thought, but there's still questions to be answered and things to find out in the in the second half of the season. Um, how are you approaching that? And are you also finding it a little bit difficult? But, you know, even even as we try to work through this. Well, I found it at this point last year. I was, we were just sort of despondent. Number one, the team's record was worse. Um, they had just started what would turn out to be an incredible turnaround. Um, and, and number two, Porzingis was still on the team, which I earnestly could not have predicted in a million years. So I think I need to, to caveat, have the caveat of, I don't assume any rotation changing trades is where I'll start with. So assuming nothing big, you know, maybe if they trade, you know, move move one, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth guy for a different seventh, eighth, ninth guy just to try to mix things up, maybe. But what I hope for in in the, the next 40 games is if, you know, if they've worked out their rotation which I think they kind of have more or less they've had to uh, the things that that kid tried in the first 20 games, you know, you figured out the JaVale thing fairly quickly. That's a whole other story. But if you figured out your rotation, can you find different ways to win? Uh, the fact that they had 25 fast break points, who is that against? Why am I losing my mind? Um, the fact that they had Houston, uh, yeah, Houston or San Antonio. It was, it was Houston. So yeah, it was the Houston. fact that they had 25 fast break points, and it was such a talking point from the Houston media side of things, where it was just there was a column in, in the Houston Chronicle the next day where it was like, you just got outran by a team that doesn't run. Like it was pretty damning, even though Houston's bottom of the barrel team. I'm wondering if there's things they could do to mix it up. Uh and try to find different ways to win. You know, right now they they shockingly they might have, and this is you know cleaning the glass numbers. 
they might have the best half court offense in the last 20 years. I'm not yeah. exaggerating. Like I, uh, Josh went through the numbers and I'm not good with that sort of thing, but a couple of people have told me this and I just wouldn't know that by how they play. Obviously Luca's amazing, but I'm sort of wondering if there's, if there's things they can do to really mix it up. And if, does that mean, you know, they don't run a ton of set plays and that's, again, that's Luca generated. He wants to run the same kind of pick and rolls and attack ISOs and things like that. But I think, you know, I'm not coming around to it, but I do think that like having, you know, the, the idea that it's limiting to, to only do certain types of things in the playoffs, it, it's just something that sticks out in my head. And I'm wondering if you can, you know, the, the Josh green initiating play stuff is, is that ridiculous? Are there more set actions that they could run or is just this team too limited? I, I just don't know. I want to see, the other thing I want to see is if Christian Wood stays on the team, they have to do more with him as the initiator. The Christian Wood ISO bench offense is a garbage can. I don't like watching it. I don't care if it occasionally works. It's It just is. It drives me a little nuts. So those are two things that come to mind immediately. Run a little more. Maybe or three things, you know, try some different sets on offense. And then third, if they're if if Wood is going to be part of the team's future, then they need to find more interesting ways to use him other than like isolations while Luca's on the bench. Yeah, I like all that. Those are all things that I think are are really fascinating. And and I think my my mission or my goal is is, you know, to lean into the 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 micro picture at times. Like if the Mavericks have a few games where they're running a lot more, I I think, you know, we don't have to worry about Oh, does this mean that, you know, they're going to go sign someone two summers from now and it's, you know, meaningful to that? Uh, I, I do think, you know, even within the season, the, the, the trends that are popping up, uh, you know, even ones that exist for a few games at a time um, are ones worth examining. And then and then the, you know, the bottom line is that any season where if you're a fan of a team that has Luka Doncic, you should enjoy that. And I yeah. think the enjoyment of Luka is like the number one thing that, uh, should be the focus of the season. I, I think that, you know, if if there's ever a season where he can play like this, like the Mavericks don't want him to play like this in seasons to come, but they don't really have a choice this year. And so if he's going to do it, go win MVP, go, go do it. You know, like mm-hmm. when, when is there a better time for him to just, you know, max out his stats on a, on a team that doesn't really have a, you know, right now, a ton of options to play another way. I think that's important. You know, it's a, it's an individual award. Uh, it's not a championship, but if Luca wins MVP this season, how can you say that, you know, given this, the circumstances of, of what the Mavs are building to, um, you know, like that's a success in its own for this year. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, in, you know, curious to keep kind of keeping an eye on that and just see how, you know, the narrative shake out and, and whether the Mavs can keep winning enough to, you know, buoy his case. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we know Luke is going to continue being good and, and great. And I think, you know, just being able to watch someone be this great uh, is a fun thing. And so to me, those those are the focuses. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm curious to see if they can change or, or modify or tweak kind of, uh, you know, the way this this offense goes to a degree, because like you said, it's just about the best in the league over the past like three weeks. And um, no, it, it is the best in the league. And it's it's just about, you know, the best half court offense ever, stuff like that. And, and so, um, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. I, I, I like the MVP element of it. I've kind of stopped having to think about it because I have some, I have like five different MVP vets and like Luca was the <laughs> one that I got. And it's just, it's, 
none of them are panning out. It's 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 vexing me. But I, I'm also interested to see how they play some of these teams who they haven't played at all. Uh, like they've not played the Kings once. So I'm really looking forward to those to those matchups. Like I love a lot of people hate these like sort of subway series, these home and home. I love this stuff because I think familiarity breeds contempt among NBA teams and we don't have enough pissiness. But at the same time, just the, due to the way injuries work, sometimes, you know, you might play. We're done. The Mavericks are done playing Houston. So in granted, Houston doesn't really matter, but it's like. They played Memphis one time, and then they play Memphis three times in March. The Memphis that they played the one time is going to be a completely different team than the Memphis that they played in March because it's just the season's too long. So I'm looking forward to some of those matchups and and, and elements of, of what we can watch because I think that you know the Mavericks, part of the reason why the Mavericks are never going to tank in the Luka Doncic era, not only because Luka Doncic is, is, is the ceiling-based, uh, has, a, has a particular floor uh, with how good the Mavericks are going to be, but when you look at like the West, it's a mess right now. Right. The Mavericks could go through a losing streak and still have a good argument for why they should stick around and do stuff. I mean, it's it's just surprising. Like, you know, obviously Luka Doncic gets hurt, that changes everything. But you're watching this with Phoenix, for example, with Corey Booker, Corey Booker, uh, Devin Booker <laughs> out for an extended period of time. It just it takes a toll on these teams and you know, uh, styles make fights in the NBA and the Mavericks are like Memphis doesn't want to see the Mavericks. I don't care what they say. The Luca puts every single like the, the kind of points he scores on Dylan Brooks, who is a good defender. He puts Dylan Brooks in in, in just a washing machine and turn and turns it on like the man can do nothing against him. I would love that as a playoff series. And the Mavericks would be like threatening as a seven seed to Memphis, too. Like there's just a lot of reason to where the game to game might feel grindy and gross. But if you get to the playoffs, there's a lot of reason. Well, one big Luka Doncic sized reason why you shouldn't count them out. And I'm and and I'm looking. I, that's something I will be looking forward to. Yeah, playoff series are fun. Basketball is fun. So hopefully that's hmm. a way to end this podcast. With you know, I, I know we we leaned into a little bit of pessimism at, at the start. Hey. Hopefully uh, this is a little optimistic ending. But that's right. Thank you, thank you, Kirk, for hopping on. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk soon. And uh, thanks, listeners, for listening. The thing you do best. We'll see you next week. Just like me, I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, big dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh, too bad.